0: All right, Um, John chapter 18, and we're going to read two sections out of here, 15 to 18 and then 25 to 27, they both deal with Peter, okay, and we'll know that this, this issue of Peter is interwoven with the trial of Christ, and we'll deal with that in just a moment. So if you're able, would you stand with me while I read God's Word? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to your word, uh, that we would see it and understand it, Lord, that we would be partakers of this wonderful forgiveness that comes to us in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray, amen. John chapter 18, 15 through 18, and then 25 through 27. And Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, now he keeps saying the other disciple, and understand that's pretty much John. John never mentions himself, but he is always the other disciple or the one that he loved. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself, apparently. So he always talks about the other one, which is typically himself. 16. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought in Peter. The slave girl, therefore, who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves. And Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said, therefore, to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter therefore denied it again and immediately a cock crowed. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. As I said, there really are two stories here the trial of Jesus, and if we want to call it the trial of Peter, or Peter's denial of Christ. And and we're only going to really focus upon Peter, so let me give you a brief outline of the trial, just so you have it in your brain, uh, what went on here. There were actually two trials. We have a religious trial and a civil trial of Jesus. Um, Because the Romans ran that geographic area, the Jews had no power to reach the ends that they wanted to by themselves. They could convict Jesus of uh, whatever sin or offense they wanted to, but they could not carry out any punishment upon him. They had to have a Roman trial or a civil trial to reach their desired ends, which was the end of Jesus and his crucifixion. So the religious trial had three parts. The arraignment, or the initial indictment before Annas, and, and, and Annas and, and Caiaphas, the high priest, there's, there's a lot of, uh, what's the word, a lot of nepotism here um, involved in that and a lot of payoffs going on. The temple area and the high priest system was really at this point very corrupt. And so that's why you see that this trial is held at night, okay, which was against the rules. You could not have a trial at night, but yet they did nonetheless, Okay, So the first indictment was before Annas, which took took place immediately after their time in the garden. And then it was followed with a meeting with Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, as I said, in the middle of the night, which was against the rules. uh, But they really didn't care about the rules. They had one end in their mind, and that was the end of Jesus. This troublemaker, this guy who was stirring the pot, this guy who was saying, everything that we hold dear, all our rules, all our regulations... He's ready to to put those aside and talk about this change of life that comes when we trust in the Lord, this change of this this kingdom that he is bringing. So there was that in the middle of the night, and then again in the morning they came back to that group to, in a sense, um, legalize in the daylight what they had done in the middle of the night. Then the second part uh, was the Roman trial, which was the civil. And it also had three parts. The first one was before Pilate. And Pilate, um, kind of, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, kind of looked at Jesus and said, Well, hmm, ha, what do we do? Herod's in town. I'll send Jesus over to Herod. Herod was the tetriarch of that whole area. He was the ruler of that area. Pilate was just there in Jerusalem. So he sent him over to Herod. Herod went, hmm, ha, well, I don't know what to do. We'll send him back to Pilate. And then we know what Pilate did. He said, hey, why don't you take Barabbas instead of Jesus? And the crowd, stirred up by the Jewish leaders, called for the death of Jesus and the freeing of Barabbas, the traitor. So we know what Pilate did. He washed his hands and said, I'm done with all. You, you, You do what you wish. Okay? Now, we start in 15, but let's jump back to verse 12 for a moment because this is an important little bit here uh, that we don't always see or understand the significance of. Now, we know that if, if you go back and read Psalm 22, it talks about basically a crucifixion some 600 years before crucifixion really came into existence Okay, And, and you, can, you can read that this week, if you like, and see how that psalm follows the things of Christ. And in fact, Christ quotes from the psalms as he's on the cross. Well, I want to go back, put your hand in John 18, and go back to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Because of what happens in verse 12, Jesus is in a very real sense fulfilling some of the things of the Old Testament here. Now, there are a lot of places that we see Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, what was foretold, etc. This is just another one of those instances um, that certain things had to happen and John mentions them for a certain reason. Okay, one hand you've got Psalm 118 and back in John 18, we'll read verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. You you know, as you read through it, you might not give that much thought. But why does John mention that he was bound? I mean, remember the cohort. That's 600 soldiers at least. Why would they have to bind Jesus? Well, remember he spoke his name and they all fell down. Maybe they thought putting binds on him, uh, binding him would make them safer uh, if they were that stupid how about that Uh, but when we get to psalm 118 verse 27 the lord is god and he has given us light bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar the sacrifice was bound do you remember when abraham offered up isaac what did he do he bound his hands, okay? The sacrifice that was going to the Lord was bound. So John mentions this, just, just you know, maybe, uh, um, obviously it was, it was uh, what the Lord wanted us to have, but he probably said that going away just so everybody would know this is another fulfillment of the Old Testament, that Jesus, the sacrifice, was bound, okay? So let's get into our passage in John 18. Let's look specifically at Peter for a moment. Now, Peter is wrestling with things here. In his heart, he remembers the promises that he made to Jesus. He says, I'm going to die before I let anything happen to you. Okay, if you go, I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I mean, I am yours. And he took out his sword, cut off the ear, and we see one of the people that he denied he knew Jesus to was some relative of the guy whose ear he had cut off and whose ear Jesus had restored. He wanted to be with Jesus, but yet he was afraid to be with Jesus. So gone are all those promises. Gone are all those brash statements of confidence and, and security. And I'll go wherever you go. Those things are all gone. And those portions of his fleshy self-confidence that, that he had previously said and, and, and proclaimed. And here he denies Christ three times. And in a sense, it happens so fast that we can kind of sympathize with Peter and realize that, that, you know, these things were going on. And all of a sudden the cock crows and he goes, what have I done? What have I done? Well, it was just what Jesus said he would do. Keep your hand in John 18. Let's go back to Mark 14 and try to come to grips with how this happened to Peter. And the question for us, are are we that different than Peter? I mean, could they be happening to us in our lives as well? So, Peter's problems. What were Peter's problems? Number one, Peter was overconfident. He was overconfident. We see Mark chapter 14, verse 31. And Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. They were all saying the same thing. All of them, yeah, yeah, we'll die. We're not going to abandon you. And what, what does Jesus say? He says, you'll be scattered like sheep. He says to, specifically to Peter, you will deny me. He says, no, I'll never deny you. Peter was overconfident. If we think we are invulnerable because of our strengths, because of our talents, because of our own ability, we are sure to fail. How many times have we seen... You know, athletes, as an example, who have this great innate ability, but they don't want to work, they don't want to produce, they don't want to practice, okay? They just want to be game players, and, and but they only reach a plateau. They never get any better because they're not willing to work hard to get to the next level, okay? They rely upon their own abilities and gifts. Or how many politicians have we seen that, you know, thought that they would become... Um, immune to the, the, the temptations of power and immune from the corruption that comes with everybody coming up to them and saying how great they are and how wonderful they are and expecting something in return. And they have fallen. And they have fallen. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Okay? There's no qualifier there. It doesn't say almost nothing. It says you can't do most everything. He says nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. So Peter was overconfident. Not only was he overconfident, but he was unprepared. He was unprepared. He simply was not ready. He thought he was ready. He thought he was ready to face these temptations. He thought he was ready to face these trials. I'll go to my grave for you, Jesus. But he wasn't ready. When the fat hit the fire, Paul folded like a cheap suit. Okay, Is that the phrase? A cheap suit? (laughs) Why did he fall? Why did he fail? Because he failed to pray. Remember back in the garden? Jesus is off praying. He is pouring out his heart to the Lord. He's sweating these drops of blood. And what's Peter doing? He's back there sleeping with everybody else. He should have been down there praying. But the good thing was Jesus was praying for him as well. Peter needed it very badly. Yet he was asleep. The third one, Peter followed Christ at a distance. Back in Mark 14, Peter followed Christ at a distance. Verse 45 of Mark 14. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. We'll see more about the fire in in just a second. But he followed far off. Yes, he followed. What were the others doing? Except for the disciple, the other disciple, the one whom he loved, they weren't around. The rest had scattered. Many will follow Christ at a safe distance. Many will follow him while he is over there, and they are not so closely associated with them. They think that will protect me. Um, What What does Revelation? What does John say in Revelation about those who are lukewarm? Okay, I will spit you out of my mouth. Anybody who has had a child with, and sorry, but you know, projectile vomit, they understand the the innate meaning of that word. It is not just a little spit up. It is projectile. It is I will spit you out. I will propel you out of my presence. Okay, that's what he's talking about. If you're lukewarm, you're in trouble. The Lord wants you hot for him. Well, Peter followed at a far off distance. There are actually those who who don't want the intimacy that the Lord says that we need. And with that intimacy and with that closeness comes the spiritual strength and comes that that growth and that maturity that we need to handle things. Peter did not have that maturity yet. So as he followed from afar off, he was not ready to face the arrows that Satan was going to throw at him. The fourth one. So we've got he was overconfident he was unprepared, he followed at a distance, and then the fourth one, he wound up standing with the enemies of Christ. He wound up standing with the enemies of Christ. Now, Peter, who had been with Christ, was now standing in the midst of those who were his enemies. Look at verse 25 of John chapter 18. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Now, where was he warming himself? outside of the chief priests uh, dwelling place there with all those people who kind of followed and 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 were what are they going to do to Christ they're going to kill him it's about time to get rid of this guy so Peter is out there with them now we cannot remove ourselves from the enemies of Christ they are everywhere in this world Everybody who is not a believer in Christ, the Lord says, you're with me or you're against me. There's no in-between. There's no fence-sitters. There's no, well, I kind of like Christ. No, you're either his child or you're his enemy. Now, you might be a passive enemy or you might be an active enemy, but yet there are enemies. But we are called to live within the midst of the enemies of Christ in this world, while at the same time being near to Christ. See, if Peter's problem, it's, it's twofold. He was far off from Christ, and he was in the midst of the enemies of Christ. If he was close to Christ, well, in this, geographically speaking, he wouldn't have been in that many enemies, okay? But if you're spiritually close to Christ, then you're ready to face a life in the midst of the enemies of Christ. Now, when it came down to it, he denied it two more times here, he says, haven't I seen you with, with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? She said, no, no, no. What would they say to you? Haven't I seen you with Jesus? Could anybody say that about us? Haven't I seen you as a believer? Haven't I seen your life different than everybody else? What would we say? I would be glad to hear that. Stopped on the street sometime. Hey, haven't I seen you with Jesus? That would be cool. I was, um, just as an aside... When I was in high school, we did the play Godspell, and, and I got to play the lead as, as Jesus. And there I am, I'm working at the bowling alley, uh, which, which was my job, uh, after school, a couple nights a week, and I'm under a pinball machine trying to fix the pinball machine. I, was, I had to fix the bowling machines, the pinball machines, everything, and this woman comes up and she looks under the pinball machine and says, aren't you Jesus? <laughs> Where do you go from there? I mean, (laughs) that's good. (laughs) So wouldn't it be great say, haven't I seen you with Jesus? Haven't I seen your life so different that that I can associate you with Jesus? Well, Peter says, no, not me, not me. He's out with the enemies of Christ. He started out to be self-confident. The next thing you know, he's out there standing with the enemies of Christ. How many believers do we know that that has happened in their lives? You know, they come to Christ and they're, they're full of the things of the word and they're growing and they're, they're just rejoicing in those things and life goes along so well. And then before they know it, they've kind of slacked off on those things that have gotten them there. Their, their, their devotion life passes away, and, and, and their worship life is, is a little bit less uh, active, and, and the things of the world are so much more active in their life, but they're not having any problems, so it's all good. And before they know it, they're in the midst of the enemies of Christ, and they have become far away from Christ. And here is Peter. He's in the midst of the enemies. He's out there warming himself by this charcoal fire. And I'm sure he's thinking, how did I end up here? How did I end up here surrounded by the enemies of Christ? Just just hours ago, I was with Christ. I was with this one that I'd followed for years. Now I'm with his enemies and I'm denying him. Well, we know that the pressures of life can, can come upon us. And it's not always that we... We pursue the enemies of Christ, but so often when we're far off from him, the pressures of life come upon us and we default, in a sense, to form. What did we know those years before we were believers? So we act in that way. Rather than standing up, as Peter needed to do, and say, yes, I belong to Christ. I am with him. I am one of his disciples. The slave girl comes and says, aren't you with him? No, no, I don't know what you're talking about, willingly to deny him. Okay, now that we've beat up on Peter, Peter's not that bad, really. Let's look at some of his good points in this, okay? I don't think he deserves as much blame as we always give him. I just want to learn from some of the things that he did. Remember, this is the leader of the disciples who have failed. The leader of the disciples who has failed. If he was the rich young ruler and failed, well, we could kind of see that. If he was one of those people who followed Jesus because he was there at the feeding of the 5,000 and he was just after another free meal and he denied Christ, well, we would understand that. But he is Peter, the one who said, I will never deny you. This is my life. I'm willing to lay it down for you. Isn't that frightening? If Peter can fail, the leader of the disciples, what's that say about us? Oh, we can fail in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. But I understand, if we don't attempt and risk failure, we will never know the grace that is available to us. We will never know that power that gets us sometimes over what we would fail with in our own strength. If we, do never, risk, if we never risk for the Lord, we'll never understand his fantastic grace and power. So let's look at some good things about Peter. Peter at least followed him. Okay, Where are the rest of them? They scattered, okay? In the garden, when they arrested Jesus, they head for the hills. Whether they went to, to Bethany or whether they just ran into the darkness and kept running, Peter probably started off running and then said, I, I've got to find Jesus. So he followed him, even at a distance, he followed him. Now he got to the house of the high priest, and apparently John is known to the high priest and is allowed in. So he gets Peter a little bit closer, but Peter doesn't want to get too close to what's going on. Peter's failure could only occur in a man who had courage, okay? He failed by denying Christ, but he had to be in that situation where he could deny Christ, okay? He is still, how we say, even though he's been with Jesus three years, he's still not spiritually that strong. Not until Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, is Peter really the man? Right now, he's just as weak as everybody else, but at least he follows Jesus. Perhaps he's not as spiritually ready as he should have been, but he's there, close by, while the rest are everywhere else. Secondly, Peter loved Jesus. That's why he followed him. He loved him. He had stated that earlier, ready to die for him. He loved him. Mary loved Jesus. James loved Jesus, but Peter loved him enough to follow him, to follow him. Now, let's go backwards a little bit for the next two. If we go back to the garden, we see that Peter was ready to defend Jesus. He was ready, pulled out his sword. Yes, it was an act of the flesh, but it was a strong act nonetheless. What are the rest of the disciples doing? Imagine them. Here come 600 soldiers and Jewish leaders to arrest Jesus, and they take him off. Okay. Now, Peter... Even in front of all those soldiers, he pulls out his sword, one against 600. Well, in human terms, that's not going to end well for Peter. Okay, But we understand Jesus has his plan, and it is working out there in the midst of that. My guess is most of the other disciples were scared. They took off. But he loved Jesus, and he tried to defend him. Let's go back even a little bit further to Caesarea Philippi. Peter was the one who confessed him as Christ. Peter confessed him as Christ. None of the other disciples did. Remember when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And how was Peter able to say those words? Because the Holy Spirit had revealed that to him. He says, my father in heaven has given that to you. So what it comes down to is Peter was acting like any other believer who was young in their faith, impetuous, not seeing the larger picture, going going where the shallowness of his faith wasn't really prepared to go, but he went there nonetheless. Okay? And sometimes we have to do that as believers. We have to step out and say, well, I might not be ready, but I've got to go. I've got to go. I think it is sometimes better to jump in our faith and fail rather than to maintain life on the sidelines and watch it go by. Okay? If you've never failed as a believer, You're not really putting your faith to work. If you wait until you're always ready, I've got my ducks in a row. My world is good. Now I can move on. Well, sometimes you have to do that. Other times the Lord says, this is where I want you. And you go, you're kidding me, Lord. And you've got to jump. This is what I want you to do. I can't do that. Yes, you can. I'm going to enable you to do it. And you've got to go. And you've got to go. Charles Spurgeon illustrated this. He was uh, speaking at a at a church, and, and uh, somebody brought this young woman to him, and, and uh, they had kind of filled him in ahead of time, said she 's kind of half-heartedly following Christ and, and uh, she just needs basically a kick in the pants. And uh, Charles Spurgeon illustrated it, and he said, "Young lady i 'd like what I'd like you to do is go out, and the next tram car that stops, this is London in, in the late 1800s, and the next tram car that stops, I want you to get on, but only get on with one foot and keep the other foot on the ground." Okay, And wherever the tram car goes, I want you to stay that way. Keep one foot on the ground and one foot on the tram car. She says, sir, I can't do that. He said, why not? She says, well, I, I can't. You can't be one or the other. He says, okay, then what I want you to do is I want you to stand out in the muddy street and stand next to the tram car, and when it comes, don't get on it. Just think of all the wonderful places that tram car is going to go, all the places it's going to take those people and the things that you're going to do, and you just think about them and wave to the tram car as it leaves. And I looked at him, said, and then Spurgeon said, or you can get on the car. Completely and wholly get on the car. Go where it will take you. See those places. Do those things. And what he was saying is you can't have a foot in Christianity and a foot in the world. Because it's just impossible. Or you can't sit on the sidelines and say, yes, uh, you know, you can't be on the tram car and on the street at the same time. And thinking, man, that's great. Look where it's going to go. He said, I want you on the car. I want you in the Lord. I want you completely committed to the things of the Lord. Let's go into the heart of Peter for just a second and try to imagine how he felt after the rooster crowed. I failed. I'm worthless. I betrayed everything that was important to me. I've denied the Lord. How many times have we compromised our faith we in today's world not in the way that Peter did maybe but yet we deny the Lord even in whatever sin that we participate in I mean how many of us have lied how many of us have purposely pursued what was wrong knowing it was wrong how many of us have blamed others for our own mistakes how many of us have envied or hated or gossiped each of us each of those things is a denial of of Christ. Every sin demands a damnation of its own, an eternal damnation of its own. God hates those things as much as he hated what Peter had done. But each of those can be forgiven in the same way that Peter's sin was forgiven. Who among us is perfect in their exercise of the Christian faith? I mean, really, who of us is perfect even today in the exercise of our faith? Okay? Okay. Who has not said things they haven't should they haven't they shouldn't have said? Who's been places they should not have been, who has seen things they should not have seen and known that they shouldn't have done those things? Known that they were wrong. That's everybody. We stand up and say, I'm Peter. I am Peter. I've been places I shouldn't have been. I've said things I should not have said. I am Peter. And every one of us is that way. Every one of us is Peter, not just because we sinned. But because the plain teachings of scripture has been before us. What other culture, what other time has had such great access to the things of God. Plainly laid before us. And we don't pay attention to them sometimes. We don't let them penetrate our hearts. We just, how many Bibles do you have at your house? I right, 15, yeah. It doesn't get you to heaven. doesn't get you to heaven. What's the difference between... Randy Jenkins, and Judas Iscariot. Christ intercedes for me. What's the difference between Peter and Judas Iscariot? He says, Peter, I have prayed for you. Christ did not pray for Judas. For everyone who has confessed faith in Jesus Christ and received him as Lord and Savior, Jesus intercedes for you. Do I, like Peter, bear the guilt and the weight of my own actions and my own sin? Yes, I do. But Christ has interceded for me. Are are you any different than me? Or any other human being? Or any other believer? If you're a believer, Christ intercedes for you. Peter stands here out in the courtyard, warming himself in the midst of... Of the enemies of Christ by a fire, he is cold. He's lonely. He's denied Christ. It is a sad, sad picture of somebody who is the leader of the disciples. But yet, in a few pages, what do we find? We find Peter is warmed by a different kind of fire. He is warmed by that fire of forgiveness and that fire of the the resurrection of Christ and that fire of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we see in Acts that. After one sermon of this guy who so miserably failed here, 3,000 come into the church at one time. Is Peter any different from here to here? Christ has interceded for him. The Holy Spirit has come upon him. Is he any less imperfect in acts than he is here? No, but Christ has interceded for him. I don't believe any of us can understand the depth of love and sacrifice of Christ until we come face to face with the depth of our own sin and this great and wonderful forgiveness that is available to us. It says, I'm I'm Peter, I'm just like Peter, but Christ intercedes for me. So who are you? You Peter? Has Christ interceded for you? Let's pray. Lord, we've seen the good and the bad of Peter. We've seen his weaknesses. We've seen some of his strengths. He's not that different than us. We have these same types of weaknesses. We can be shallow. We can be impetuous. Sometimes we're far off from you when we need to be close. But we also see some of the strengths of Peter. He followed you. He loved you. And we see your words to him. Peter, I have prayed for you. Those words ring true for every believer, for everyone who has confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is Lord. You have interceded for us. You have gone to the Father and said, this one you have given me and is now mine, and we can never be taken from your hand. It doesn't mean we will be perfect doesn't mean we will never stray, doesn't mean we'll never fill our, our minds with things that shouldn't or say things with we, we shouldn't. But yet you pray for us and there is forgiveness. Lord, there might be people here today who just need this. Need this forgiveness. Maybe they're holding things in their hearts and, and thought that they could never do that or never extend forgiveness. You have prayed for them, that they would have the strength. To confess, they would have the strength to receive their forgiveness or forgive those around them. Lord, care for them today. Bring your grace and your mercy and your healing to them that they would know that as imperfect as they are, you love them. You have given your life for them and they belong to you. I ask this in The name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.